Luke 24, verses 1 through 9. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As you're seated, uh, I'm Brant. Introduce myself here for you. I'm Another one of the members of the team here at Christ City Church. Uh, it's great to see you this morning. What an awesome time to have together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're just going to jump into the sermon and the text right now. But as we do that, I'd ask you to pray with me. Uh, Father, we come before you um, in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Confident in the power of his spirit of life at work in us. And we ask you even this morning, to help us. To help us to see you and to love you, to glorify you, to respond to your word in faith and hope, and to see the good news you have for us, to receive it with joy this morning. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's, uh, today, as has been said already, is Easter Sunday. But you, you may or may not know this, in much of the world around us, the Christian church calls Easter Sunday Resurrection Sunday. I've got to admit to you, I love the name Resurrection Sunday. It's, it's bold, isn't it? Just, it's like, it's out there. We have a bold, gutsy declaration of the Christian hope in the resurrection here on this day that we celebrate every year. And we need it. Because lest you forget, despite all of our best efforts not to, we die. I was reading an article this week by a journalist uh, for the New Yorker. His name's Tad Friend. I was reading one of his articles. This is a pretty famous journalist, famous for taking these long four or five month uh, investigative trips to, to understand an issue. Um, and I was reading one of his articles, which was entitled Silicon Valley's Quest for Eternal Life. He'd taken a real deep dive into this new budding billion dollar plus industry pursuing eternal life. And in the article, he reminds us of the problem that uh, causes this pursuit in the first place. He writes, For us, aging is the creeping and then catastrophic dysfunction of everything all at once. Our mitochondria sputter, our endocrine system sags, our DNA snaps. Our sight and hearing and strength diminish, our arteries clog, our brains fog, and we falter, we seize, and we fail. Depressing, right? Now, you might hope, although you might hope that, that someone like this writing an article, researching what he was researching, that it would lead us to this place of great hopefulness, 
that mankind can achieve immortality. The article does not leave you that hopeful. He says, he continues on past this uh, first quote. He says, every research breakthrough, every announcement of a master key that we can turn to reverse all of that has been followed by setbacks and confusion. The more we know about the body, the more we realize how little we know. And as the article continues, you read this long article and you're left pretty shaken by the pursuit to find life and our failure to achieve it. But you're left with another sense as well. You're left with this sense of knowing something true about death, especially when it touches us personally. In the, in the words of Tad Friend at the end of the article, he says, what we know deeply and intuitively is this, death isn't right. Death isn't right, but there is hope. What Resurrection Sunday teaches us is that, yes, we can't escape death, but Jesus did. And he can bring us with him into his life. Today's sermon is going to be just a real simple, straightforward sermon looking at the way that Jesus is the solution to our problem of death. And we're only going to have three simple points. Death, eternity, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to jump in right now, look at death, the first topic with me, and the text just before the one that we read in Luke 23, 50 to 56. This comes right before the text that was read this morning. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and a righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and their action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud, the one that we have hanging on the cross. It's not the same one, but like the one that's on the cross. <clears throat> and he laid him in a tomb cut in the stone, where no one had yet been laid. It was a day of preparation. The Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they churned, returned and prepared spices and ointments. No matter how we strive, how hard we pursue it, we can't seem to find life. Death comes unexpectedly and crushes our greatest hopes and our greatest expectations. Prior to Jesus' death, he had been teaching and preaching, we remember, or we need to remember, for three years about what he called the kingdom of God. And the Sunday before this, Jesus entered Jerusalem and he had received a royal welcome by his disciples. And his disciples had recognized something about Jesus. They'd realized that he was the promised king who would come to fulfill all the prophecies that God had made to right what was wrong in this world. But on Good Friday, Jesus was crucified and not coronated. The crowds dispersed. Disappointment and grief were palpable. And now in this text, in Luke 23, 50 to 56, his closest friends gather around to take care of the body, to deal with the burial of Christ. And his burial reminds us that when we look at the account of the resurrection, the backdrop to it is hopelessness. It's death. It's disappointment. It's the same problem that you and I have today. Death. And I've actually been thinking a lot about this recently. Um, I, I've been trying to orient my mind and my heart around the reality of death in this world. 
I've been reading a number of books about death. I've been thinking these things over. Uh, I was convicted in my, my reading recently, and I took Arian, and I packed him into my car, and we drove to Maple Ridge, where my grandmother, who's 93, uh, who had a stroke years and years and year, years ago, can no longer talk. We want just to be with her. I wanted, her, I wanted Aryan to, to see her, to remember her. I wanted to be with my grandma so she could see Aryan, remind her who he was, because I don't think she remembers who he, who he even is, and just to be with her. It's aging's around us. It, it's, this is a personal problem that we all face. It's in our lives in an immediate and deeply personal way. Death is everywhere. But there's something about our city, something about our Western culture that doesn't know how to deal with it. It tries to cover it up, tries to suppress the truth of death and our mortality. Tries to instead cover those things up, push them over here so we don't have to deal with any of that nasty stuff and just live our lives in health until we get sick and ourselves are admitted to some ward where the rest of society doesn't have to see us. We don't know how to handle death, though we all die. Nearly two people die every second of every minute of every day. Factoid for you, you're also aging. If you're over 30 this morning, you have entered a new era of aging where the statistics show that your risk of mortality doubles every seven years. So forget trying to escape death. The statistics show that you can't even you can't even achieve the health that you want. Death is all around. And the thing is, relatively small problems in our personal lives, they throw us off in incredible ways, don't they? This happened to me um, early in my, my late teens. I started developing some shoulder problems. And I love to play tennis and squash and volleyball. And I found that I couldn't play them like I wanted to anymore. Then I entered my early 20s and I started having these digestive problems that have stayed with me to this day. And what happened was that those two relatively small and minor things were enough to push me over the cliff into some depression. Because I thought that the 18-year-old me, the strong and healthy 18-year-old me, feeling good the way that I felt, would continue forever. I mean, I knew intellectually that that wasn't the case. Let's be honest. Like, I, I, I knew that that doesn't happen. But in my heart, I hadn't contended with the reality that I am mortal. I am mortal. If you're in the situation of 18-year-old me this morning, if you haven't thought about your mortality, you ought to. You ought to. You, you should go spend time at nursing homes, both because it's a wonderful Christian ministry to be with those who are aging and dying, but because you probably need it. You need to know the truth that you will not live forever. Your health won't stay with you. Hebrews 9.27 says this, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death is coming. Yet, despite how common death is, don't our hearts... Don't our hearts tell us that it's unnatural? Don't our hearts tell us that it's wrong? It's wrong. Weren't Jesus' friends burying his body thinking, this is wrong. This is wrong. It shouldn't be like this. The Bible gives us a reason for that. 
The Bible tells us why we think it's unnatural. Look with me at our second point, eternity. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It's wrong because of this. Because God has put eternity into man's heart. He has put eternity into our hearts. We're creatures that were created and oriented toward eternity by design. But death gets in the way of that, doesn't it? Death is a struggle because it, it, it stops us in our tracks and the orientation of our hearts for eternity is stopped by the death that comes to us. The Bible really claims a contrasting perspective. We need to realize this this morning. The Bible claims a contrasting perspective from the human atheistic naturalism around you in Vancouver. And that perspective would say that, that we avoid death. We desire life because of an evolutionary life force that is in us. It's just this life force pressing on. The Bible says it's because God has put the DNA of eternity into our hearts. But notice this. If you were to try to bundle up all of eternity and put it into a finite human heart, it's not going to fit. Right? It spills over on the one hand in this desire to escape death. But it spills over on the other hand, I think, in a desire for happiness. A desire to find joy. We aren't content to die and suffer. We want so much more. We yearn for so much more. We ache for life to the fullest, don't we? But we're regularly frustrated and we're disappointed and we all die. Jesus talks about this and he has a solution. Jesus taught that we all ache for more, but that the life we long for, it's not found in more things. It's not found in a healthier lifestyle and greater experiences. It's found only in relationship with God. Look at John 17, verse 3. Jesus speaks to our longing this way. He says, This is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus speaks to our longing to escape death, our longing for happiness, and he says, This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What if we long to escape death? What if we yearn for full and happy lives because we were created to find both those things in a relationship with God? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What if that's what you're feeling right now, as you're grieving the loss of your loved one? What if that's what you're feeling, a longing for life eternal in Jesus, when you're met again with disappointment in your life today? What if that's what you're feeling right now when you find out that your spouse has a diagnosis that's shocking? And when you have a child born with a disability? What if that's what you're longing for when again and again and again you can't find the satisfaction that you're looking for? Resurrection Sunday 
speaks to the eternity in our hearts and the longing we have for life because it is profoundly about life. It's about the way that God has done something incredible through Jesus to bring eternal life to people who live in death. And that leads to our third point this morning, the good news, the resurrection of Jesus, taken from our text, Luke 24, 1 to 12. Just look at that text again with me. I should just look at 1 to 9. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed down to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So only a few days before Jesus' crucifixion, his disciples had been operating on this belief, on this understanding that he was the king who was promised he would right what's wrong in this world. But then they're crushed by Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. Why? Well, because they expected that Jesus' death would be more or less like our deaths, permanent, unchanging. And the thing about dead kings is that they don't set anything right. It's just wrong all the way through. But as the woman came to the tomb to care for his body, they were rebuked by the angels. That's why Jesus, or they, they say 24, 5 to 6, they say this to them. It's a rebuke. Why do you seek the living among the dead? <laughs> You're in the wrong spot, guys. He's not here, but he's risen. Praise God. He is not here. He has risen. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine having come to the grave struck with death and the hopelessness of it all, expecting to be embalming Jesus' body, but to find him gone, that he'd risen, that you had these angels talking to you instead about hope. He is risen. And with those three words, God speaks hope. God speaks hope to those women but he speaks hope also to you and me. He speaks hope to us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of a world full of death, the hope of the resurrection that all will be made right. But maybe we should ask this question. How is it that I should be hopeful that Jesus was raised? I mean, isn't it true? I mean, on one hand, like, good for you, Jesus. Like, way to go and be raised. But how is, how is your resurrection beneficial to me? How does that happen? Well, Jesus' resurrection is important for you because it is the last part of God's two-stage plan of salvation. A crucifixion and a resurrection. Look at the angel's words more closely in verses 6 to 7. Remember how he told you the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Notice that word must. 
Jesus must be crucified and rise. The two stages here. So why is that? Well, first, he was crucified because of this. We saw earlier in John chapter 17, the text that, that we read several times, that eternal life, the life that we long to, long for, is only found in this, knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So that's the eternal life, to, to be brought into a relationship with God, to be reconciled to God, to know him. That's where eternal life is. But can we just know God just like that? Can we just read that text and say, ah, okay, got it. I know God. Done. Does it work like that? Well, the Bible says no. The Bible says no, maybe even in the face of some of the the common spiritualities that are around us in Vancouver, which would say otherwise, that, that no, it's an easy thing to come to know God. The Bible says no. Why is that? Well, Isaiah 59 verse 2 tells us why. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, we see your iniquities, just a four-syllable word for sin, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Sin is our problem. It keeps us from God, who is the solution and the life that we need. Jesus had to be crucified so that our sin could be dealt with. But we could ask another question. Where did this sin come from? Why is it here? How can we have to deal with sin? Well, according to the Bible, sin and the suffering that came with it has a beginning. The Bible's story of the beginning of human history, it's not mitochondria in a puddle. It's Adam and Eve in a garden, dwelling with God. They lived and they were happy. But they were also tempted. They were tempted even in their happiness not to believe that God was all that they wanted or all that they needed. So they turned from him. They disobeyed him. They pursued their own way. In short, they sinned against God. And as a result, the Bible teaches us, sin entered the world and with it, death. Romans 5 verse 12 says this. Sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We sin, and because of sin, we're separated from God, and we die. That's what the Bible teaches us right now. And to deal with our sin, Jesus had to be crucified, because our sins had to be punished. And the thing about us bearing the punishment of God is that we don't really walk out the other side of that. Right? That's a a pretty final story for human beings. But for Jesus, it's different. Jesus can bear that punishment and come out the other side, come out the other side of the grave and live. And because of that, he died in our place for us. He was crucified so that you and I could be forgiven and brought back into this relationship with God that we were created for, where eternal life that we long for is. That's why the angel said, remember how he told you that he must be crucified. So through his death, our sin is paid for. He must be crucified. But he also must rise. Stage two is essential. Because if Jesus' death were the end of the story, it'd be the end of the story. We'd be forgiven. Okay? But our Savior would be dead. We'd have no way to be brought back into the life that only he can bring us into. It wouldn't be a complete salvation. They wouldn't have a lasting eternal relationship 
of life with God. Jesus had to rise from death so that he could bring us with him into his eternal life. And he did rise. He is risen. He is risen. Jesus speaks to us from his glory, his resurrection glory in Revelation 1, 17 to 18. Hear this this morning. This is the Savior that you serve. Look at this text. Fear not. You, in the situation that you're in, fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. You know what I have the keys means? It means that Jesus can open the door and let you out of death. It means that he can bring you with him into life. But you might be considering this other question in your mind. You might be thinking, Brent, when is this going to happen? And what's it going to look like? Because in case you haven't realized, Brant, all the Christians that I know have either died or are dying. And actually all those guys in the shelves, in your bookshelves that you like to, to read about, they're all dead too, even though they live good Christian lives. So what's going on here? How does this life of Jesus take root in us? Well, there's an order to these things. Because Jesus' resurrection life is like this. I like to think about it like uh, one of those giant domino sets. Have you seen those? Maybe on YouTube? I'm kind of nerdy and watch domino videos on YouTube, you know, confessions out here. But you know how these like, you know, it's like one million domino pieces fall. They begin with the first piece. They begin with the first piece. Jesus' resurrection is the first domino to fall of all the new creation dominoes spreading outward from him, creating a new world, making all things right. So let's consider the order just for a second. Because of Jesus' resurrection, life takes root in us first in a spiritual way. Those who trust in their Savior, Jesus, they live experiencing the first part of his resurrection power at work in him by the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of far more to come, but it's the beginning of it. Breathing life spiritually into us now. And can I just say, like, don't underestimate that. We need that. In your marriages this morning, maybe you feel how much you need that. In your relationships this morning, maybe you feel how much you need the life of Jesus to get rid of your selfishness and your sin and to fill it up instead with love and sacrifice and grace. The fruit of the Spirit. We need this. I need this. I need it in my own life. I am, I think, regularly shocked right now. This is something I'm going through, guys. You can pray for me. Regularly shocked, it seems weekly, by how much sin is in my life. How much my own selfishness, my own desire for my, my self-advancement gets in the way of me serving and loving people. There's sin in me. Pride in me. But you know something? Even though that's the case, I am not who I used to be. I'm not who I once was. The Holy Spirit is at work in me. And I think sometimes in our Christian lives, we need to remember this. We need to know that we shouldn't just look at yesterday when we're confronted with our sin. We need to look at five years ago. 
Do you remember the way that the Holy Spirit, the resurrection life of Jesus has been at work in us, making us new people? That we love more because of him in us now. He is at work. He is risen. And the first domino is that spiritual one. The hope of the resurrection is first spiritual, but consider the next domino to follow as well. Because we aren't merely raised with Jesus spiritually. Our spiritual resurrection is the promise of the coming physical one. Because once God has begun a work of life in someone, he doesn't stop. Be encouraged. Know that this morning. He doesn't stop what he's begun. Until life has filled the person, mind, body, and soul, and overwhelmed them with his glorious life. One day, Jesus' physical resurrection will become our physical resurrection. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 23. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus' resurrection is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. It's the first fruits. Some of you may know, I, I spent five years in the States and only came back to Canada in 2017. And in those five years, one of the things that, that I deeply, deeply missed about British Columbia, specifically the Fraser Valley here, was the berries. It's true. I missed the berries. <laughs> I miss the berries. And and think about the berry season, you may know, is that there's this glorious moment. In early June, you wander into the produce market, and there's that fresh, first fruits carton of blueberries. And maybe you're not like me, but man, I, I like run for that thing. I buy it. And as I eat those blueberries, I know that these blueberries are a signal that strawberry season is coming and raspberry season, and blackberries. And by the end of the summer, I'll have eaten several times my body weight in farm-fresh berries from British Columbia. That first carton, it's the first fruit. Jesus' physical resurrection is the first fruit. First, he's raised. And then we're raised with him spiritually as we place our faith in him. But then, but then, when he returns, we who trust in him will be raised physically with him. And then finally, all wrongs will be made right, as even this world is freed from its bondage to decay. You worry about climate change? You worry about burning cathedrals and human achievement crushed and squandered? God does too. And he was not going to let a burning world, a broken world, continue forever. Jesus' resurrection will bring life to all things. Look at Revelation 21, verse 5. God declares this. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Imagine a world where death isn't. Imagine a life where you age without becoming decrepit. Imagine getting always older, but wiser, stronger, 
more skilled at serving God. Imagine a world where satisfaction and joy define your life as you're brought deeper and deeper into fellowship with the God who made you for himself. Imagine a place of pleasures evermore because God is there with you. His love surrounds you. And you are profoundly and truly home and whole in his life. Imagine this. Revelation 21, 3 to 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. For us, human beings struggling with death, struggling with anxieties, with fears, struggling with the memory loss of our mothers and our fathers, disappointed again and again and again. For us, God speaks a word of hope this morning because of Jesus' resurrection. What you long for is in Jesus' life. He has died and he has risen so you could find life eternal in knowing God. That's the good news of Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.